0: to the book of Genesis again, chapter 27, Genesis chapter 27, it was mentioned to me that, uh, that I need to speak louder, Jamie says that he speaks softer than me, so I'm going to try to speak a little louder, but uh, there's plenty of seats up towards the front. So rather than me wearing my voice completely out either, I prefer that if you move up, if you can't hear. If you can hear or if you don't want to hear, you can be sitting in the back and that's fine. But um, if you can't hear and can find a shady spot, just uh, slide on up into the cheap seats here and there will be no extra charge. It's good to be with you uh, again today. And I don't know whether Jamie gets this sensation, but the first time I put this uh, microphone on, I'm listening for the amplification. I'm used to putting on a mic and then hearing it and not having to speak loud, so it's a little bit tricky in that sense to get used to. We're going to look again into the book of Genesis. We're looking at the life of Jacob. We're looking at it both practically and prophetically as Jacob is one who illustrates for us in his life certain principles that we find applicable to our lives. And as God uses the historical record of the life of Jacob and the surrounding events to illustrate higher truth, truth that has to do with the nation, ultimately that will be named not just Jacob but Israel as his name will become, as he will become to be called. So, we're going to look in chapter 27. It's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read it in its entirety, beginning at verse 1. It came to pass that when Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold now, I am old, I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field." and take me some venison, and make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spoke to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison, and to bring it. And Rebekah said unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, O, upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came unto his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, "Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not." And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him and, he, and said, "The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not because his hands were hairy, and his brother Esau's hand as his brother Esau's hand, so he blessed him. And he said, "Art thou my very son Esau?" And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat. And he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now, and kiss me, my son. And he came near, and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment, and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field, which the Lord hath Blessed. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven, and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee, be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be every one that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. And it came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob. And Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison that that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? He said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, "...and hath taken away thy blessing." And he said, "...Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing." And he said, "...Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me?" And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, "...Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants." And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword. Shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob, because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, Then will I slay my brother Jacob." These words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away till thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do to me? And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife, of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. I read the entire chapter because I like to read the Word of God. And uh, the Word of God is effective in the minds and hearts and lives of those that hear it and believe it. And it's good to hear what God's Word has to say and because we want to get the whole setting of what's going on here. If I had to title this chapter, I would title it, One Big Happy Family. (laughs) And uh, when you read the Bible enough, you realize that reality TV has nothing on the Scripture. Somebody once said there wasn't a family in Scripture that we find historically that wasn't dysfunctional. And so uh, it's very real. One of the questions one of the young people asked last night as we gathered together a bit was, how do we know, how can we communicate to other people the reality of what we believe? We believe it, but how can we, you know, get them to see the reality of it? And I said, well, certainly one way is the Scripture. We always want to bring it back to the Scripture, which sort of begs another question, but how do we know the Scripture's true? And that's another message for another time, but... One of the evidences of Scripture that I see is the honesty of Scripture. Remember that from Jacob is going to come the twelve boys who will be the twelve tribes from which the very nation is founded. If you are going to tell the history of the starting of a nation that, as the Scripture says, is the nation that God Himself founded, to be the vehicle that would ultimately bring forth the Messiah and bless not only the Hebrew nation, but the world, would you begin by airing all that nation's dirty laundry? And yet it is the honesty of Scripture. And it's not only the honesty of Scripture, but is the evidence, again, that what is done is done by God's grace not according to the performance of Jacob or Esau or anybody else. And as we'll see in the life of Jacob, one thing that is magnified is God's grace. Because as we said yesterday, or as I said, if you don't remember all the passages, which would be a little difficult to do, remember that one phrase that's found in Scripture, the God of Jacob. Because if he can be Jacob's God, and God would identify himself with Jacob, and He can be our God, and what a privilege to be identified with Him. The characters that we have before us in this chapter, Isaac, Esau, Jacob, Rebekah, and another character that sort of hovers in the background, if you will, unseen, but it is God Himself who arranges providentially the circumstances and overrules many times the things that are going on. I call it one big happy family too because it is a study of human nature and character. And one of the things that we've already mentioned that's a little bit difficult is we don't come at the Scripture often with a fully clean slate. Nor would we be totally expected to because we do build on the foundation of things learned. But you know, when I come to Isaac, I can't help but think of Isaac as a type of Christ. You see him there in Genesis 22 as the willing son of who laid down his life as a sacrifice and yielded, you know, in that great picture that is recorded for us in Genesis 22. And then you come to Rebecca, and you see her in chapter 24 as the bride that was sought, you know, a bride for the son, the unnamed servant going forth. And so we have these elevated thoughts that are connected with the prototypes that are given to us in Scripture. But you're going to see something else here. And I'm not trying to stain the character of those pictures. It's just the reality of what the Scripture brings out. Jamie has brought out a lot of peas. I'm going to bring out a few S's. You're going to see in this chapter the shallowness of Isaac. you see in this chapter the subtlety of Jacob. You'll see in this chapter the sovereignty of God. We'll see in this chapter the sorrow of Esau, and finally, the sending away of Jacob. So let's look now that we've had a bit of this uh, account that's brought before us, or we've read the, the history, and look at each of these individuals. I want to suggest to you that in this plan that he had, or this scheme, Isaac represents to us, brings before us, an unspiritual father. You have to ask yourself the question, how could a man with such a rich heritage, how could a man with uh, Abraham as his father, fall or stoop to such levels? Why do I call him unspiritual? He brings the sons before him, or particularly, he brings Esau before him. The Scripture says in verse 1, he was old, his eyes were dim, he couldn't see. He called Esau, his eldest son, and he said, I don't know the day of my death. And by the way, he lived considerably longer than this. He lived, I think, to 180, so it was a long time. He thought he was at the point of death. And it was going to be a long time. But he told Esau to go out to the field to get venison, to bring it back, that my soul will bless you before I die. We've already read whose blessing, who God determined to bless. At the very birth, before the birth of the two boys, God said, the elder will serve the younger. That he would bypass the natural order. God's word was clear. And so we see Isaac. His lack of sight in verse 1, I want to suggest to you, was more than physical. His lack of sight. And what you're going to find emphasized in this chapter in regard to Isaac is how the natural senses fail him. His sight failed him. He couldn't trust just what he saw with his eyes because his eyes weren't any good at this stage. You find in verse 27, he seems to be getting a little suspicious, and he he calls uh, who he thinks is Esau near to him, and he says, "Uh, Come near that I may kiss you. And really what he wanted to do too was smell him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment. And his sense of smell failed him. In verse 22, he Jacob went near and Isaac touched him. And remember, Esau was a very hairy man. Now, there's hair and then there's hair. Okay? And uh, I think at this time, Isaac's sense of touch must have been diminished as well because it's one thing to feel somebody who's hairy chested or hairy arm it's another thing to feel a a goat skin on somebody's arm and think it's human hair but his sense of touch failed him his sense of taste failed him bring me near the venison that i may eat in verse 25 and he brought him not venison but goat Now, I want to say there's good goat and there's bad goat, and I've had both. And uh, good goat is good. And good goat can be cooked. I guess the closest thing I've ever thought of when I've had good goat is that it tasted a lot like venison. And yet, you still knew it wasn't venison, it was goat. But he didn't. His sense of taste failed him. So all of the senses, his sensory perception, his natural senses failed him. But I want to tell you one thing that would have never failed him, and that is God's Word. And the young folks that are here today, I want to emphasize to you that there's one thing that will never fail you, and that is God's Word. There is one source that is ultimately reliable and truthful that you can depend upon and bank on, and that is God's Word. Your own natural senses will fail you in life. You'll see things. You'll hear things. Uh, your, your whole sensory perception sometimes is bombarded with things. But God's Word, if you will trust God's Word, it will never fail you, or lead you astray. Throughout the Bible, we find, don't we, how important it is to listen to the right voice. It started earlier in the book of Genesis. Two voices in the garden. What God had said and what the serpent said. And the tragedy that entered into this universe and this world entered because the woman listened to the wrong voice and the man listened to the wrong voice instead of following God's voice. You will never go wrong following what God has said. And for the young people that are here, you already know it. You're going to be bombarded in life in society with, uh, with just a, I want to say cacophony, but um, if I were from some folks' neck of the woods, I might say cacophony. But anyway, um, with, with just a, a host of different voices coming at you, drawing you, seeking to gain your attention, seeking to say, this is the way. You're going to have to learn in the midst of all those voices that there is a voice of higher authority that says, this is the way. And you're going to have to have that discernment that only comes as the Spirit of God works on that material that you have ingested of His Word and leads you to see, no, that's not the right way. No, that's not correct. Some of the voices today are very smooth, very sophisticated. Very intellectual, very sensual, but above that there is the voice of God. And how fortunate we are, He has recorded it for us in His Word. It is so available today in written form, in MP3, any way you like it. On my phone, I've got three Bibles and umpteen concordances. (laughs) No excuse. But you know, all those Bibles and concordances on my phone don't do me any good if I don't open them. And read them. And take them in. Learn to distinguish. Because you know what God's truth is and what God says. And judge the voices that you hear based not on your feelings or what you think is right, but based upon what God has said. You'll never go wrong that way. And so... Isaac, what a tragedy. His love for Esau, that which was natural over the one God had chosen, Jacob, and guided by his fleshly appetite, by his natural appetite, he pursues a plan that is exactly opposite of what God's will is. It's a good thing we're never like that. And one of the realities of the Bible is that as you look at these folks, you're looking in the mirror. I mean, we don't think it's possible, do we, that people who are believers and saved Christians would ever do anything in opposition to God's will to satisfy our own desires, do we? And yet it's possible, isn't it? To place our will, our desires above that which God has said. But it will never come to good. And so we see Isaac seeking his will. Seeking to satisfy his fleshly appetite. You wonder, don't you, if maybe that's where Esau got some of his. Remember we said one thing that distinguished Esau and Jacob was their appetites what their desire was for. That's one of the things that will distinguish you from the rest of folks in the world. What is your appetite for? What is it that you desire? Do you have a hunger for the things of God? Do you have a hunger for God's truth? Do you have a hunger to do His will, to follow Him? You know, I say appetite because... Your conduct, your walk, your life as a believer. I know it's nothing like mine and far better, but mine, I know, isn't always what it ought to be. And I don't always do things the right way, and I fail, and I sin, and I grieve folks, sometimes even folks close to me. And I haven't always done right with my children. God is a God of grace and mercy. But I tell you one thing, I know what I want, and I want what's right, and I desire God's will, and I pray, God, help me. God, help me, even in the raising of my children. God, be merciful in the areas where i failed, long-suffering. What is it you want? What do you want in life? What's your appetite for? It's a very critical thing. And so, while it doesn't make excuse for our own sin and failure, it's a great distinguishing mark, isn't it, to know that your heart is set for the things of God. And so we see Isaac, in this sense, failing in that regard. Rebecca, that beautiful picture, portrait of the bride of Christ, and yet in this chapter, a scheming wife. (laughs) A scheming wife. Note her deceit, and you wonder, wonder if Jacob didn't get a little of those, few of those genes passed on to him. She says in verse 6, I heard your father speak unto Esau your brother, and this is what he said. And so you see, already in a family, here's a father who loves one son and, and favors him over the other. Here's a mother who loves a son, favors him over another. And you could say to yourself, well, you know, Rebecca, she knew what God wanted and she just went about it trying to get it in her own way. The ends justify the means. Wasn't the first time that was tried, was it? One day, Abe, Abraham and Sarah were there and Sarah said, Abe, have I got a plan for you? And the current controversy that exists in the Middle East is a result of that. Folks who couldn't get along together in the same tent then and can't now. And so trying to circumvent the will of God by doing it your own way. An otherwise beautiful woman who schemes, and it seems to put a mar. On that beauty. In 1 Peter chapter 3, can we just remind ourselves of what Peter says concerning beauty? Speaking to wives, and as he talks about adorning and decoration and so on, putting on of apparel, he says, Let the real beauty be that which is the hidden man the interior that which is an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of god of great price first peter chapter 3 and those verses that go down to verse 6 real beauty something that just doesn't seem right about a beautiful woman who schemes and connives jacob Obey my voice. Here's what we're going to do. And Jacob even protests, doesn't he? He protests in verse 11. He says, wait a minute. And I like the way he protests. Not, mom, this isn't right. No, that's not what he says. Wait a minute. Uh, Esau, my brother's a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. That's the first thing he thinks. Not to worry. <laughs> not to worry. He says, my father will feel me, and and he'll think that I'm a deceiver. (laughs) That's because you are a deceiver. And so the mother says, here's what we do. I've got the whole thing worked out. And so she comes up with her scheme. I want you ultimately, she says at the end, when Esau finds out what has taken place in verse 43, Obey my voice, my son. Arise, go to Laban, my brother, to Haran. Tarry with him a few days. The few days turn into twenty years. And as far as the scriptural record is concerned, we don't know that Rebekah ever saw Jacob again. I want you to think about this. Because she says in verse 45, Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? The thing she wanted most was not to be deprived of her son. It's why she did the scheming. Even at the end of this chapter, you know, when she comes to Jacob, I mean, to to Isaac, she doesn't say to Isaac, listen, Esau's going to kill him if he doesn't get out of here. She says, you know what? I've had it with these daughters of Heth. You know, if Jacob marries one of these girls, I'm done. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Why don't we get him out of here and send him off? Excellent idea, Isaac. <laughs> as far as the scriptures is concerned, we never have a record of her ever seeing him again. And the point I see, one of the points I see is that the thing that she desired the most, she didn't get. She didn't get. She couldn't keep her son by her own scheming and her own conniving. And that, as a parent, speaks to me. <laughs> oh, how we have to trust them to the will of God and trust God's will. It's not easy, isn't it? You know, as parents, we want to we wanna work all the circumstances and arrange everything so that we can keep them. Only God can keep them. And yes, we want to protect our children if we have children. But ultimately, it's God. And so... We see in Jacob and Rebekah that nature taking advantage, not waiting on God, seeking to get things my way. And then in Jacob, one who had the right appetite, but an unscrupulous son. One who wanted the right thing. But again, went about it in a deceptive way to try to get it. And so, Jacob goes before his father, and he makes one, at least one crucial mistake. I want you to see it here. It's at least three times said in this chapter. Verse 8, when Rebekah says, Obey my voice. You get it again in verse 13. Obey my voice. And then you'll get it again in verse 43. Obey my voice. Listening to the wrong voice. And so, Jacob goes into his father. And you notice that as he comes into his father in verse 19, he tells his first lie. Well, he tells his first lie in this particular story. Jacob says to his father when asked the question, Who art thou, my son? Uh, I am Esau, your firstborn. And if you don't know this story, you know one of the principles that we find true in gen- generally in life. One lie leads to another. One lie leads to another. And so watch how rapidly that happens. I have done according as thou badest me. No, he didn't. He did according as Rebecca told him to do. And I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, which it wasn't. It was the goats, the kids of the flock that she had prepared. And Isaac says, how is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? Hey, whenever you get in trouble, just go spiritual. <laughs> just go spiritual. Oh, my father, the Lord thy God, he brought it to me. Well, he asked him straightforward forward in verse 24. Are you my very son Esau? I am. You're not. But he said he was. And so the lies that come in such rapid succession, those five lies. I want to tell you that you find in the story in the life of Jacob, the principle also that's found in Scripture in the book of Galatians, that says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap the things pertaining to life, eternal and everlasting life. And one day Jacob's boys would stand before him with a bloodied garment and say, Discern, we pray thee, whose coat is this? And they would deceive him who once lied to his own father in the position of a son. And that old man would live for many years with the weight of that lie which he thought was true weighing upon his heart. And so remember that folks don't get away with things. We just don't always see the end of the story or get the end of it, but God sees the end. And nobody gets away with anything. It seems like it in life sometimes. Again, we're grateful for a God of mercy and grace. But nobody gets away with things. And so the lies that Jacob told. And finally, the desperation of Esau. The timing of Scripture. i got to tell you the story for those of you who weren't there yesterday because it's it's a story about timing. We were going around the young people get together last night and... Uh we started with, is it Ricky? Ricky. And so they said, tell who you, who you are, your name, and um, tell something, uh, that you, your favorite thing about Yosemite. So Ricky's the first one to start. I don't know how many people we had there, but it was a lot. And so we got to go around the whole circuit. Well, Ricky gets up and says, well, my name's Ricky. I'm from, you know, wherever. And, uh, and he says, you know what I really like about Yosemite is the bears. I've never seen one, but I want to see one. And so we're saying, I mean, it's still lots of daylight. It's just a little after seven. So we go around the whole circle of all these young people and other young people like myself. And and we get back. We're going to stop at Ricky again. And just as the last person, we're going back to Ricky. We go, there's a bear. (laughs) And it was coming right through into the lower pines, right in the daylight. Timing. Well, the timing isn't exactly that here, and there's actually no spiritual point to that whatsoever, except to say that um, just as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, Jacob had barely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, verse 30, and Esau came in from his hunting. At that very moment, you can almost see Jacob slinking out of the tent. I don't know if they cross paths, but he's probably covering his arms, you know, like because Esau's wondering, what is that on your arms, you know? But as he comes in, Esau, in desperation, realizes what has happened. He does make an error in his statement, doesn't he, in verse 36. Jacob has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. No. Sold your birthright. He hath taken away my blessing. Well, not exactly true. God always intended on blessing Jacob above you. But he did connive to do what he did. And in desperation, Esau... As the New Testament say in the book of Hebrews, he found no place of repentance. And what that means is it was too late to turn around and go back. He couldn't undo what was done, even though he wept bitterly with tears. There was a blessing still for him, but not the blessing that God intended for him for Jacob to have. And so finally we see the sending away of Jacob into the land to ultimately take a wife and so on. And Esau says, pardon my paraphrase, when the old man's gone, I'm going to kill him. As soon as he dies, I'm going to kill him. Now those folks lived a long time, as we've already seen. But that was the plan. And when Rebecca hears that, like one lie leads to another, (laughs) one plan leads to another. And so she sends him away. But I want to say, and we haven't time this morning, I won't take the time to develop it, but Lord willing we will during the week. Remember that what we see in Jacob mirrors and reflects not only the life of that individual, but the life of a nation. Jacob's life divided into three components in the land, out of the land under the discipline of God, and how ultimately Jacob is brought back to the land, which is found in Scripture prophetically and also in a sense pictorially. And so may God help us to see these things as we move along and sort of to see where we fit in the picture in all these characters. The Lord will help us. We give you thanks again for um, having His Word and and trust Him to do that work that only He can do. Thank you.